Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying, kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. This is Americans Watching the Footy. This is episode 51. This is our round 21 preview. We're really hitting the home stretch, and this is another round where there's going to be a lot of top heavy action, and uh, us two brothers are here to break it all down. Brothers in the literal sense. I'm Benjamin Castle coming to you from the Bay Area, South San Francisco, California. And I'm Ethan Castle coming to you from my hotel room as I am on a quick vacation to San Diego, which, as you may know, is a city with a lot of history. A great man by the name of Ron Burgundy explained once that this city was discovered by the Germans in 1904. They named it San Diego, which of course in German means a whale's vagina. So Ethan's having a plenty classy time over there enjoying a trip for... One of the final times before he really gets going in all the craziness of Bay Area prep sports. I'm enjoying life back at home, working a bit, and also just getting ready for this round as we all are. But before we get into the nine matchups, a couple of news items to take care of. One that has arisen again from a few years back. Eddie Betts just released his autobiography, The Boy from Boomerang Crescent, and I'm very excited to get to reading that, but... There was a portion in there that has caused a bit of uproar again in the AFL community, and it's further revelations from Eddie about the collective mind camp that the Adelaide Crows took on in the 2018 preseason. He was very candid about some of the personal sides of the abuse and the indigenous appropriation that occurred. The Crows have apologized again, and the AFL has released a statement, and the investigation is opening up again. I don't know what more there is to do with it at this point, because it seems like it's kind of been covered pretty exhaustively. I think what is coming out of this is that maybe players were enticed to stay quiet about it for their own benefit or the club's benefit, and maybe there were issues with disclosure. So maybe the reopening of this investigation will allow more to be uncovered still. And also just the responses from some of the club rates and the leadership there have not been great, just like, no, you're not just moving on from this. Marco Chudo has kind of tried to brush past it, and uh, I really am not a fan of that at all. Yeah, he did seem pretty dismissive in the way he's handled a lot of it, both now and in the past. I would be more in favor of being dismissive of him as club executive. Kind of amazing that he's able to hold that role and also be, you know, a boundary rider. Just like how Eddie McGuire was able to broadcast games while being Collingwood's president. Yeah, you don't get that sort of overlap in American sports at all. You get former players doing commentary often, and, you know, sometimes they're 
general managers and things like that that are brought into the booth for a little bit, but you don't see that full-on overlap. Also, as the season winds down, logically, you're going to get more news of players retiring, and we've got two pretty significant ones in Josh J. Kennedy and Stephen Motlop. Motlop's retirement is effective immediately, while Kennedy will play one last game this week, that being the Eagles' final home game of the year as they take on the Crows. Glad that they'll be able to give him a proper farewell, and hopefully people show out for that, especially because it's a game that does seem at least a little winnable for West Coast, even with how Adelaide performed last week. As for Motlop, he was a player that I definitely enjoyed watching the first couple years. Of course, we only saw the tail end of both of their careers. Wish that, of course, we had seen this game sooner because I would have loved to have seen both of their career progressions a little more. That Crows-Eagles game is actually a good jumping off point as we get into the previews, even though that'll be the final game of the round, because I think with really one exception, the games this week, even the ones that don't have any finals implications, should be pretty compelling, because on paper, they should be competitive matchups. And when it comes to the games that do impact the finals race, a lot of those teams are going head-to-head with others in the same boat. Eight teams in the top ten play another team in that scenario. The two outliers being Sydney, who are visiting North Melbourne, and Richmond, who are at port, and the power, of course, have often played like a finalist the past couple months. So without further ado, we'd like to get this show on the road and specifically talk about a game between not just two finals teams, but two that currently sit within the top four. Two that would be playing each other if the finals started now. It is the second meeting of the year between Melbourne and Collingwood. Of course, they always play the Queen's birthday match. They will be playing at the MCG as usual. This time, Melbourne is technically the home team, though you can imagine it's probably going to be a Collingwood-heavy crowd. This one will be in your typical Friday night slot. So for those of us on the West Coast of the United States, 2.50 in the morning. On the East Coast, 5.50 in the morning. 7.50 p.m. local time bounce in Melbourne. And this game was originally going to be on Fox Soccer Plus, but has been since moved to Fox Sports 2. Hopefully a few more Americans tune in as a result. Maybe some people on the East Coast as they get ready for their workday tune in for the second half. And hopefully they get a game worthy of a pretty prestigious situation, this being so late in the season between two of the top four. There was definitely a lot of excitement in the Queen's birthday game. Melbourne got out to a good start, but Collingwood came back and overtook them in the second half and held on for what was then and what may still be their most impressive win of the year. That was the fourth of their current 10-game winning streak. Of course, Melbourne had their own 10-game streak to start the season. Since then, form has been rocky to say the least, but both teams currently sit at 14-5. Melbourne, though, with the healthy percent lead, over 25% on Collingwood. But hey, means the Pies have been able to grind out a lot of close games. They are the first team in VFL, AFL history to win nine games by 12 points or fewer in a season. That 26-point margin was the second biggest of this current 10-game streak. All the wins since then, since the bye, have been by 11 or fewer. It's also Collingwood's third biggest margin of the entire season. And while they have won a lot of close games, let's remember, it's been a while since they've lost, but only two of their losses were by more than 13 points, those being by 27 to Richmond and 48 to the Bulldogs. And those were in consecutive weeks, right before that streak began. Now, going into this game, there was talk that there would be two changes for Melbourne 
that Ben Brown would come in for Sam Wiedemann and also that James Harms would find his way into the 22, but no Harms. He's been kept out despite being out of concussion protocol. So clearly, Melbourne are valuing Angus Brayshaw in the midfield over presence on the wing. Of course, Ed Langdon's there, and Collingwood have plenty of talent there between Steel Sidebottom, Josh Dacos, John Noble pitching in, but with how well Brayshaw performed this past week, I'm not surprised that Simon Goodwood and list management made the call they did, and I'm personally a fan of it. For Collingwood, we know that Taylor Adams will be out until finals after suffering a groin injury. Now, as far as I'm aware, that groin injury doesn't have anything to do with Jeremy Howe's corked buttock. You know, normally I would think a cork in your butt would help prevent diarrhea. I'm also reminded of an old joke. It's not that old, but it was a joke about like constipated camels. And it would be considered insensitive now because the three competitors in this race, this hypothetical race, are from different ethnicities. It's it's easy enough to look up, though. But basically, it's a race between a white guy, a black guy, and a Chinese guy. And they're each riding a camel and seeing how long they can go riding the camel without the camel pooping. And the punchline involves putting a cork in the camel's butt. So... It's even though I just kind of explained the joke, it's actually still pretty funny, just more acceptable like 15 years ago than it is now. I don't know. We could still get flagged for even talking about it. YouTube would demonetize us already, but they'd also demonetize us like five seconds in because that's just they demonetize everything. They probably demonetize us for just covering Mark Willett's Fox footy theme. We know now that Brody Bycheck is good to go, so he's going to be coming in and as of now, that's the only change for Collingwood. My check back in for Adams. No Brody Grundy yet. There was talk that he might be playing this week, had one round of BFL action, did well there. But there were reports of him suffering a bit of an ankle issue in training. So maybe that factored into things one way or another. I consider this to be a reprieve for Mason Cox because as nicely as he's done at times this year, of course, you'd want to have Grundy probably over him at any given time. Yeah, and that's in no way Mason's fault. Just all of a sudden, this team has a pretty crowded list, which I don't think we expected would be a situation for them at all this year. I think our perception of them has really radically changed. Especially in the Ruck department with how strongly Darcy Cameron's come along, and he's just got a contract extension this year as well. So that makes Grundy's contract situation even more tenuous and Trade talk about him has not quieted down, even with how big his deal is. Some people thought earlier in the week that Finn McRae might have been able to get into the side with the injury situation, but with Howe being good to go, buy a check back in, Finn gets the short end of the selection stick again. But I mean, it's hard to change anything when you've won 10 in a row. You know, the way I size up this Collingwood roster, I see it as a team that's got a few top, top guys and then a whole lot of parts that are kind of on the same level. And pretty much all of those guys that are kind of on the same level have made cases lately to stay in the lineup. On top of that, you look at like the top five to ten guys on their VFL roster most weeks, and those guys are worthy of playing at the top level as well. And that's, I think, really where this team's strength lies. It's a similar case for Melbourne. We talk about different guys stepping up pretty much every week for them, and uh, the KC Demons remain undefeated. Melbourne are favored by 17 and a half, and my instinct is to say Collingwood by less than two goals. 
until it doesn't happen, I'm just going to expect it every week. You know, when I was plugging in hypothetical results for the ladder predictor, I put Collingwood by about four points because that's just how they've been winning games lately. I can see it now. Nick Dacos wins the Norm Smith. Like last week, the Saturday games are all a little offset from each other, so there's always going to be a couple games overlapping at any time, but if there are close finishes, you should be able to bounce between the games of the different windows just fine. The first of the games getting going on Saturday is Hawthorne and Gold Coast down in Launceston at Utah Stadium. That's a 1.45 p.m. local start on Saturday the 6th out in Tasmania. So it's 11.45 p.m. Eastern, 8.45 p.m. Pacific for American viewers on Friday night on the 5th. This is a Fox Soccer Plus game. And hopefully we're treated to some semblance of competition in this game because we certainly didn't see that when these teams met in round 11 on an equally long ground in Darwin. Yeah, I was super excited for that game. That was one that I was covering, and the Suns absolutely blew the Hawks off the field. Ended up winning that game by 67, and I'm actually pretty excited to see this rematch because I just want to see how Hawthorne stacks up, although injuries are starting to pile up for them. The Suns have had their share of injuries as well, although they've actually managed to go a week without any more season-ending injuries. In fact, the Suns regained a couple pieces last week, and one of them showed particularly well, that being Malcolm Rosas Jr., who scored a couple goals. We were really excited about him based on what we saw in those couple games in Darwin. Rosas actually scored three goals in that round 11 contest. Gold Coast enter this game at 9 and 10. They're in 11th. Hawthorne, the hosts, enter in 13th at 7 and 12. Suns coming off their narrow win against the Eagles. Hawks, their loss by two goals to St. Kilda. Unfortunately, the Hawks will be without perhaps the player we're most excited about for them in Chankwith Jaff because he was suspended a week for a dangerous tackle on Jack Steele. He was kind of the second man into the tackle and ended up bringing Steele's head to the ground first. I completely understand why the suspension was decided on. Hawthorne will also be without... Mitch Lewis, who had a knee injury pop up in the second half last week. Josh Morris is also out with a shoulder injury. Additionally, Ned Reeves is done for the year. He has had shoulder reconstruction. It's been something that had been bothering him in a certain capacity ever since Easter Monday. And they figured, let's just shut him down now. Hopefully he's ready in time for a full preseason next year. We ought to see Jarman Impey again after being managed last week especially with the other outs that Hawthorne has. Not too many changes to speak of on tap for the Suns, though. It sounds like Brandon Ellis should be back in. He was a late withdrawal last week. Maybe they go to Alex Davies again after he played VFL last week. There's a lot of selection pressure for Gold Coast as well. And, you know, that's good for any team, but especially for a continually building team like them, one that's likely to make their way up into real finals contention if they aren't already there within the next couple years. And now that they're really out of the finals picture for this year, I say they and other teams in the same boat could and honestly should use the final three rounds as a way to try out different groups of players together. No better proving ground than AFL game experience. I think this could be one of the more fun games that has no finals bearing. I really hope it is. I had that hope last time. It was completely crushed. I hope the odds makers are right, and this does end up being the close game that they forecast. 
They've got the Suns favored by just a point and a half. 25 minutes after that one gets underway, the other lower ladder game of Saturday afternoon will begin. GWS hosting the Bombers at Giant Stadium. Final game at Giant Stadium this year as GWS does have one final home game in Canberra in round 23. This one starts at 9.10 Pacific time. That means it'll be Saturday, 10 minutes after midnight on the East Coast. Local time, a 2.10 bounce. And this one will be televised on Fox Sports 2. The Giants enter at 5-14. They are in 16th. I mean, they're... Three games clear of the teams below them, but it's hard to stoop lower than they did last week, getting absolutely demolished in Sydney Derby 24. Essendon, meanwhile, have won five of seven, with the only loss in their past five being the after the siren loss to Collingwood. So the Bombers now sit in 14th at 7 and 12. These teams faced off twice in 2021 in round eight when they played at the Sydney Showground was a very fun, high-scoring affair, and the Giants won that one by two points, 107 to 105. Less drama and certainly less scoring when they played at Metricon Stadium in round 19, a game that was moved from Marvel when the Giants won again by 13. The Giants have won three straight meetings dating back to their contest in 2020. GWS made a lot of changes last week, and it didn't work, so I would assume they make a bunch more this week. On the injury front, looks like Matt Flynn and Connor Stone are facing tests. And it looks like neither of them have made their way in. However, Jacob Ware has. And perhaps that's a bit earlier than we expected. We thought that he might be back before the end of the home and away season. He'd been badly cap injury for a while, but he's in now and I'm psyched to see him again. He's been one of their more exciting younger players this year. In addition, Kieran Brace has been named as well as Braden Pruce in the Ruck. Interesting situation there. Proust had a couple of really nice plays last week, but also a bunch of stupid mistakes, giving up a couple of free kicks and easy goals. Just a general lack of discipline that a player of his age shouldn't have. And it just kind of summed up a really undisciplined and disappointing performance for the Giants, where really the only guys who looked like they were engaged the whole game and playing at a high enough level were Toby Green and Sam Taylor. Spike named another six players that had gone the full way the last game and no surprise, all those six stay, and I'm just surprised that more changes weren't made. However, I'm not a fan of the fact that Callum Brown has been demoted to an emergency role. More than anything, I'm thinking that he's been miscast these past few weeks. He's not a back. He is a half-forward, if not a full-forward. Let him play where he's supposed to play. Adding some weight to this game for the coaching staff for GWS, remember, is that Mark McVay, Dean Solomon, and James Hurd were all bombers themselves. No comment on Hurd's lasting impact there. As for the Essendon injury situation, there's no timetable for Jai Caldwell or Dylan Shield to return from their calf and hamstring injuries, respectively. Shield has been vital to their success in center clearances, and we saw how much Essendon hurt there last week against North without him. Additionally, Darcy Parrish could return after missing the past four games with a calf injury. Andrew McGrath will also be out of COVID protocol, so definitely a squeeze at halfback and a bit in the midfield. There's definitely some potential for Massimo D'Ambrosio to be omitted. Perhaps he'd slot into a sub role there. I think he could fit that well. McGrath has been a really welcome presence in that halfback group in terms of positive movement to contested play since he was moved back from more of a midfield role. 
So if he and Parrish both get in, I'll be looking for the interactions between those two on the offensive side for sure. There's a lot I'd like to see out of GWS for this game. I'd like to see some level of fight from their veteran leaders. Remember, they did have Steven Canelio as a late out last game, so expect him to slot back in. And I'd like to see just some semblance of defense from anyone other than Sam Taylor. Essendon are favored by three and a half. And to me, this seems a good deal low. I would think naturally Essendon somewhere in the three to four goal range. Well, obviously, the Giants are going to have that fierce home crowd behind them. Is this finally a week where the AFL got the close to, I guess, standalone game right? They actually may have for once because it's the Bulldogs and the Dockers, a crucial game for both of them in terms of staying in a good position and toward the last couple weeks. The Bulldogs are now in 10th at 10 and 9, but more than within striking distance for the final spot with the schedule they have the last two rounds after this, having the Giants and Hawks lined up and Fremantle have trended downward. They have not won any of their past three games. Two home losses to Sydney and Melbourne, and in between that, that weird draw against Richmond. This game will be a 4.35 p.m. local time bounce at Marvel Stadium, so that's 2.35 p.m. for Western Australians. For American viewers, it'll be 2.35 a.m. Eastern bounce on Saturday the 6th. That's 11.35 p.m. Pacific, Friday the 5th. This is a Fox Soccer Plus game. Last year, these teams met at Optus Stadium in round 12, a 28-point Bulldogs victory. Dogs have won three straight meetings head-to-head with Frio, and they could be getting much healthier this week. They certainly are, and that begins with Adam Trelore being back in. He'd been missing last round after calf injury, but he's back in now. He'll be back at half back. Still no Taylor DeRay, but... Trelore being back in does so much for the dogs, not just in that one line, but all over the field with his all-round capabilities. And Trelore will be joined there by debutante Sam Darcy. At long last, the second overall pick from November's draft as a father-son selection, a third-generation Bulldog, in fact, will be making his debut. The Bulldogs were taking their time with him, but now is his first shot at the big time, and... No bigger time for him to do it than when the dogs are fighting for a spot in the eight. What does surprise me is that Buku Kamas has been omitted. I thought he showed all right this past week, but Alex Keith is back on the fullback line after a week off. Kamas is a really interesting player because I can see him as that sort of Griffin Lowe type swing man at times because of the ability he's shown in both 50s. He also is someone whose versatility would make him useful as an injury sub if needed. Fremantle have a lot of questions that need answering in terms of what is to be done, especially in the forward third. There are questions all over the field. We'll have to wait at least another week to see Sam Switkowski. He's targeting a return next round for Western Derby 54. Joining Switkowski on the sidelines, not by injury, but by omission, are Liam Henry and Travis Collier. Bailey Banfield will likely remain as the medical sub, and that is certainly a choice. But it does allow for a couple players to enter the 22. One of those being Darcy Tucker, re-entering after a very strong run with the Peel Thunder. And the other being maybe Ethan's favorite youngster in the AFL, who's not a Geelong cat, in Nathan O'Driscoll. A high-energy winger who we were really excited to watch early on this season, finally making his way back in the main side.
Play Nathan O'Driscoll, play Lloyd Meek. This isn't rocket science. Well, no Meek this round, although I would have liked to see him given what having another tall target would have added, especially with Matt Taverner having not played as well lately. But uh, did one of the two, although 50% is still an F. Bulldogs favored for this game by 11 and a half. And considering the recent form of each team, that does make sense. I was saying in our round 20 recap how Frio really need everyone dialed in for their system to work, and they just haven't had that lately. At the same time, though, I think from a level of coaching and in-game adjustments, this one is a pretty significant mismatch in the Dockers' favor. And if they win this game, I think it's going to have a lot to do with Justin Longmere outcoaching Luke Beveridge. I don't think it'll just be as simple as they play a lot better than they did the last couple weeks. And I do expect them to play better. I think they're due for that. But how do you see this one going? Do you see this as a game that the Bulldogs need to win? You know, the way I see things shaking down, I think the Bulldogs could still be in a good position without this win. I think it mostly hinges on what Carlton does these next three weeks against a lot tougher of a schedule. But if the dogs want some breathing room, then yeah, this one matters to them. Now, I know what you think about the dogs in games that matter. I guess we'll see whether or not it matters. I can't believe you're still holding on to this. This is a game where I see pretty much any outcome as a possibility. You know, you could see a 50 point blowout. You could see a tie or an after the siren win. I really have no idea. I do think the line makes sense because I think the odds of a lopsided Frio win are a bit smaller than the odds of a lopsided Bulldogs win. Like if you're doing this over like a bell curve, you would probably place the middle of that bell curve right around the Bulldogs by about two goals. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Once again, we thank Anchor by Spotify, as well as the other podcasters on which you can hear us, as they're doing now. We thank those of you who are supporting this podcast. There's a link for that at the bottom of the episode description. If you want to follow our thoughts in real time as the round unfolds and just as the world of footy progresses, we are on Twitter at Americans Footy. Personally, I am on Twitter at BenjaminHK01 and may have some Eagles fandom thoughts as well as other sports takes with the American football season getting closer, both college and professional. I am on Twitter at Castle Media, that's Castle with a K, and my cat, who I miss even though I'm only gone for a little over 48 hours, is on Instagram at Cat Named Ryan. Ryan is an avid hunter. When there are insects or stuff that get into the house and he sees them, he lets us know. And I helped him with one last night. Considering what a good hunter he is, maybe we should have named him Lockie. I also want to mention... You're the first person I've ever heard use the term podcatcher, and I've never asked, is that like a common term or is that something you just kind of improvise? No, I've heard it elsewhere. I've heard it on other podcasts and from other podcasters. It's, you know, one of those sort of neologisms. I get that it's a bit of a fringe word, but I like it better than just like podcast app or whatever. We've got two games offset by 15 minutes to close out Saturday night. 
both rematches of games from earlier this season. In fact, six of the nine games this round are rematches of games played earlier this year. The game in the traditional 7.25 p.m. Saturday night slot is once again out at Cardinia Park for the second week in a row. This time, Geelong plays host to St. Kilda. As we said, 7.25 p.m., which means if you're on the East Coast of the United States, 5.25 in the morning, 2.25 a.m. on the West Coast. And this will be another Geelong game on pretty accessible U.S. TV. It'll be on Fox Sports 2, just like their game was last round. The Cats enter with a game and slight percentage advantage over second place Melbourne. They are 15-4 and four atop the ladder. The Saints are holding on to the eighth spot by two points as of now. They are 11-8, but their percentage is not favorable by any means. 104.3 is the lowest of teams currently in the eight. And in fact, three of the next four teams below them, two of which are within a game, have better percentage than them. I thought they were in a tough spot percentage-wise even before last week. After letting Hawthorne back into that game some in the fourth quarter, it really puts any possibility of edging anyone out on percentage pretty much out of reach. Had they won that game by closer to a 50-point margin, they'd probably be around like 107 in percentage, where they'd still be trailing everyone in contention in those top 10 spots, except for Collingwood. But there would have been a possibility for them to catch someone like the Bulldogs, whereas now, again, that's pretty unlikely. Especially with the close to the schedule they have. After the Cats, their final two are in Melbourne, but they're against the Lions of the Swans. Saints are actually the most recent team to beat Geelong, a 10-point victory in round nine, fueled by one of their signature big third quarters that were a constant theme through the first half of the season. This is the most confident I've felt about the Cats' chances to beat a team in a while, which might be a really bad thing. But even before Patty Ryder got hurt, even before Jade Gresham got hurt, I just couldn't see this as a rematch that they lose. Really hope that doesn't come back to bite me. If the Saints win this game, they would really be able to secure themselves a good spot in the eight, I think. It's going to be tough for them to win any of these last three. And I think if they were to get this one, it would at least give them a real quality chance. I think it's going to take 12 wins at this point to get in. And percentage still wouldn't do them any favors. Where I think they're going to be on the outside looking in when this is all said and done. But if they were to win this one... They'd have a legitimate shot. You gotta give us a shot! You know what? You gotta give us a shot! Listen, I'm telling you, our ass is in the jackpot now, okay? For Geelong, we know that Gary Rowan will not be available after he entered concussion protocols. He had been playing pretty poorly lately. That's not a surprising out. What's a surprising in, though, is Reese Stanley's already back? Yeah, he'd suffered some minor cartilage damage and bone bruising to his knee, and that just doesn't seem like an injury that would just be solved in a week, but here he is and there he will be. We heard the timeline of a minimum of two weeks, anywhere from a maximum of four to six. Maybe this is Chris Scott playing selection games again with the vagueness of everything in terms of the medium term? I don't know. What else we see for the Cats? Zach Tui is listed as an emergency, having been in COVID protocols last week, as is Sam Metagola. He had a concussion and then some knee issues. Joel Selwood has been managed and that allows Brandon Parfit to get into the 18, not just the 22, as a follower. I know, Ethan, you expected a veteran to be managed, and it's nice that the Cats have that flexibility with the depth on their list. I find it interesting that John Segler stays in still with Stanley in and with how Mark Blitzovs did last week. But I'm less worried about Geelong in the forward half of the ground 
and more interested in what they do in the back. I think this will be one of those games where the key is how do they match up with Max King, which I think with Tom Stewart back and Sam DeConing showing the form he's had as of late is a much easier matchup to figure out. The other matchup I'm really excited for this game is going to be between, in all likelihood, Mark Blitzovs and Rowan Marshall. Marshall has been the man taking all the ruck contests pretty much with Jared Leonard subbing in a couple times, but it's been Marshall pretty much alone since Patty Ryder went out. And when Mark Blitzovs entered those ruck contests in the second half last week, it was what helped the Cats turn the game around. Oh, um, by the way, you know Mark Blitzovs used to be a steeplechaser? Yeah, I heard that. When these teams first met, the Cats kind of got their asses kicked in the middle of the field, and I would expect a healthy Patrick Dangerfield showing the form he's had as of late, a better game from Cam Guthrie, and another good performance from Brad Close would be a nice solution to all of those problems. Meanwhile, for the Saints, it's been a while we've talked really positively about Brad Hill. That's a very strong wing performances early in the year that helped drive the Saints when they had kind of dried up elsewhere. He's hit a rough patch as well as of late. Selection for the Saints, though, seems relatively straightforward. The only real potential change that a lot of people see is Dougal Howard. If he passes tests on his knee, he would likely be in for Cooper Sharman. Additionally, the selection seems a bit more straightforward to me because of what late in Mitch Owens did last round. He was a late in being swapped for Tom Campbell, and I just think he'd be the right kind of small forward matchup here against Geelong as well. Thinking about that round nine meeting, though, it's amazing how things have changed for both teams since then. I remember talking around that time about how I saw Geelong as maybe fourth or fifth best in the competition on form. And for the Saints, you know, they had so much good in terms of forward pressure in that 10-point win. And really, since then, that's gone away for them. Cats are favored by 33 and a half. And I actually get it. With what they've shown as of late and with how little the Saints have shown, they were far from convincing against Hawthorne. And they haven't really put together a performance that needs to be walking away with a whole lot of positives since, I guess, maybe the round 16 win against Carlton. Maybe I have to go all the way back actually pre-buy, though. Maybe the last real great performance they had was that Geelong win, because North doesn't really count. Sorry. 15 minutes after the Cats and Saints get underway at the Cattery, the most scenic ground in the AFL will have their game get underway after Never Tear Us Apart rings out, because Port are hosting Richmond. That'll be a 7.10 p.m. local start at the Adelaide Oval, so it's 7.40 p.m. for the eastern states of Australia. For American viewers, that's 5.40 a.m. Eastern, 2.40 a.m. Pacific. I wish this game were also on more standard US TV because it's given so many good matchups since we started watching three years ago. Unfortunately, though, it's only on Fox Soccer Plus, so hopefully you have that or watch AFL. Port enter at 8 and 11. They're in 12th, but again, remember, they started the year 0-5, and they've shown well in the four losses they've had recently. They've lost four or five, but... The largest margin in those was by 14 points in Alice Springs to Melbourne. Meanwhile, Richmond are once again ninth minute. They're 10-8-1. These teams met back in round 13 at the MCG before a disappointing small Thursday night crowd. A game the Tigers won by 12 and were pretty convincingly better throughout. Can't say they were the better team throughout the entirety of last round's game, though they certainly were in the second half. 
I would have loved to been a fly on the wall in the Richmond rooms at halftime, just hearing what Dima had to say. One thing I like about Port Adelaide is the way they're trying to finish this season. They're really trying to play as much of a full squad as they can, rather than kind of take the slow and safe road with injuries. Travis Boak has a fracture in his hand and is expected to play through it. Looks like Darcy Burton-Jones might play despite suffering an angle sprain last week. Riley Bonner's out of COVID protocols. Dan Houston should be out of concussion protocols. So rather than kind of accept their fate and just kind of play some younger guys, they're still trying to compete here. And if they were playing against teams that weren't really in the finals picture, I would say this is unnecessary. Take a step back. Let the young guys play. But they're playing against a team whose season is still on the line. And I think they would like nothing more than to fuck up Richmond's season. Well, Port are breaking it straight to Richmond in their selection. For the first time in weeks, they have a natural ruckman in the lineup in Brid Teagle. He had broken his collarbone just seven weeks ago against the Sydney Swans, but he'll be back and he'll be tangling with Toby Nankervis in those contests. In general, I like what Port is doing with their selection this week. Their hand has been forced a little bit with Todd Marshall being in COVID protocols, but clearly Charlie Dixon will be spending more time forward with Teagle back in. Jeremy Finlayson should also figure prominently again. They have plenty of ability to run for the midfield. And I also just like what they have chosen defensively. Riley Bonner is only an emergency. We've both been critical of his kicking out of the defensive half. And Jace Burgoyne stays in. When it comes to Richmond, I've been talking to Ethan about this. It's been a topic of discussion in general when it comes to the lecture this week. One of the more interesting dilemmas in the AFL. What do the Tigers do with Dylan Grimes out? He has a high hamstring strain. It's a recurring injury for him. And the question was, Josh Gipkis or Morris Rioli Jr.? Gipkis would be a similarly sized replacement in the back, but Morris has shown so well lately as a sub that he should get another shot in the 22. Well, the answer isn't or, it's and. Gipkis and Morris are both in the 22, with Shane Edwards being managed to make way. Looking beyond this upcoming game, Dustin Martin could return in round 23, but Port don't have to worry about that. In terms of where people view this matchup with the list as they are, Port are favored by five and a half. I do think Port win this game. I think it's a relatively tight game, and I don't think losing it will hurt Richmond's chances that much, assuming they can handle Hawthorne next week. They then got Essendon to close out the year, and 50 points will definitely be enough to get them into the finals. 48 should do it. 50 definitely will. So I see them losing this one, winning their final two, and still making it in. As do I, actually. You know, have fun with those ladder predictors. We've definitely gotten our use out of them. Only three teams have actually clinched finals at this point. We could see up to three more clinching this round. And one of those teams that's closing in on guaranteeing themselves a spot in September, although fair to say they've already got it, especially with the matchup they have this week, it's the Sydney Swans. They'll be visiting Marvel Stadium, and I imagine they'll get a good South Melbourne crowd to go with them against North. That's the first of the three games on Sunday. It's a 1.10 p.m. start in Melbourne. So for American viewers, that's 11, 10 p.m. Eastern, 8, 10 p.m. Pacific on the night of Saturday the 6th. This is another Fox Soccer Plus game. North enter at 2 and 17. They are at the bottom of the ladder by just over 5%. The Swans are 13 and 6. They're in fourth. 
but their percentage is good to be where they are now. They have the third best percentage after Geelong and Melbourne, and they're ahead Brisbane by a few percent as well. And I imagine they'll be able to extend that lead in terms of percentage by at least a little bit this round. However, you got to remember that this was a close matchup in round four. The Swans did not look their best at all, and North had a whole bunch of positives going for them when they played at the SCG. It was just an 11-point win for Sydney. North kicked very accurately. Jack Zebel was pushed forward in that game and kicked a bag. And North Melbourne's tackling and pressure kept them on the Swans level all day. I don't see this one being so close. I think the Swans learned their lesson last time, won't be taking this one lightly, and will roll right through them. As do I, especially because, you know, Zebel has quieted down and Nick Larkey has not done that well as of late, especially last round. He had a lot of difficulty and I'm still questioning you know, how much of his difficulty was his own fault versus that of the rest of the team. He may have been the super majority target on entries. It seemed like he got three quarters or so of the targets on kicks inside 50. Even with the skills that he has, they still got to distribute like the Sydney Swans do. Now, North did have a bunch of COVID outs last round. Aiden Core, Paul Curtis, Aaron Hall should all be out. Jack Monty and Lockie Young are a bit uncertain since they entered later. They would be out of protocols on game day. Additionally, Flynn Perez will be back from his one-week suspension. Unfortunately, no feel-good story for North this week at AFL level. Ben Cunnington will be in the VFL. There was talk that he may just go to the top flight right away. And additionally, Taron Thomas has also not been selected. And those two may have been the only reasons to be excited about watching North this week, unless you are a full-on shin boner. And there also goes the potential motivating factor to help them maybe make it close. I don't know. I wouldn't have expected it either way. The Swans have had one of the most stable lists in the AFL. They are making a change this week. Just one. Joel Lamarty has been omitted. The question is, who comes in? I would expect it would be Logan McDonald. I'm surprised he hasn't gotten more consistent time. I guess there's a chance for it to be Josh P. Kennedy as well. He was the sub last week, but I think McDonald is the more logical selection here. Peter Adams should be available after returning from finger surgery. Most likely he'll play in the VFL considering how both Tom Hickey and Sam Reed have played. Swans are favored by 45 and a half. I mean, as they say, every week hard to figure out where the line should fall when you're expecting a blowout. But I guess this seems like a good average of all the potential outcomes. Unless you're a diehard fan of one of those two teams and you really wanted to see it all the way through, I imagine your attention would be oriented more toward the Michael Voss Cup, as I now call it, once that game starts. Or is it the Mitch Robinson Cup? That's right. Brisbane and Carlton square off at the Gabba in the big Sunday afternoon showdown. This one at 3.20 in Queensland. If you're on the East Coast of the United States, it'll be 1.20 a.m. on Sunday. For those of us on the West Coast, 10.20 p.m. Saturday. And it'll be televised on Fox Sports 2. Lions enter at 14-5. and five. They now sit in fifth, while Carlton, all of a sudden, they're still in a safe position for the moment at 12-7, and seven, sitting in seventh, with a ridiculously difficult schedule to close out the season and a surprising loss to Adelaide last week, they're on some pretty thin ice right now. A reminder that after this, Carlton have Melbourne and Collingwood at the G the last two weeks. And for Brisbane, this is actually the first round that they are starting outside the top four since round two. 
a number of injury questions for the Lions. You have Zach Bailey and Jared Berry facing tests. Bailey had a sternum injury and may have had some kidney issues as well that led to his hospitalization. Jared Berry, Jared Berry with an ankle injury, more likely to go. In fact, I would say probable on that sliding scale are Daniel Rich and Brandon Starcevich. Rich was concussed in Q Clash 23 when he went low to pick up the ball and got Levi Casbolt's knee to his head. Starcevich had a quad issue late last game. Both would be very important ins, especially with Marcus Adams and Harris Andrews having down performances last round. Really at the sort of stay-at-home type guy that Starcevich can be. And in terms of Rich, if he can come back and be that mover and accurate kick out of halfback, it frees up Kadeem Coleman to play more naturally. It would also move Kalamachi to play on the wing, and I've liked what I've seen from him there. Injuries really piling up now for Carlton. Corey Durden suffered a shoulder injury. Nick Newman is out for the last three games of the home and away season with a knee injury. Matthew Kennedy has a jaw injury that'll keep him out for probably two weeks. George Hewitt still at least a week from returning. Fortunately, there are some guys in the VFL that have significant AFL experience. Unfortunately, though... A lot of those guys have been in the VFL because they haven't played so well at the top level. Notable VFL performers that would be in the mix for consideration. Jack Martin, Lockie Fogarty, Patty Dow, Caleb Marchbank, Brody Kemp. A lot of options, but as well as some of those have played at lower levels, especially Fogarty, they haven't done enough at the AFL level to really inspire confidence, which puts them in a really difficult position. Well, notable in the lines that have been announced for Carlton is that Jack Silvani is in the 18 at full forward, another bigger target in front. So maybe that's Michael Voss's answer to Carlton's small forward struggling last round. And maybe it's also a way they figure that they could match up better with the talls back there. Andrews, Adams, Starcevich. Andrews and Adams didn't show their best last week, but in general, that's still a very strong group back there week in and week out. These are two teams that we thought really highly of pretty much the whole way through the season until recently. Startling actually realizing that Carlton have not won consecutive games since rounds 9 and 10. Since round 10, they've alternated win-loss. However, before this past round, those losses came against opponents where it would kind of make sense. And then they shot the bet against the Crows. Odds makers and betters think that streak will come to an end because Brisbane are favored by 15 and a half. I wouldn't be surprised if the Lions absolutely stick it to them, win this game by a lot, show some frustration from last week. But also, that's when Carlton's been at their most dangerous this year is when you least expect it. Carlton got those sort of Spanish Inquisition vibes, I guess. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. The greatest weapons are fear, surprise. I wouldn't say ruthless efficiency or an almost fanatical devotion to the Pope. I would say that their third greatest weapon would probably be either Patrick Cripps or Sam Walsh. I will say Patrick Cripps has rounded back into form lately. That's definitely been a major positive. And I didn't say Charlie Kernow because I don't think there's any more of the fear and surprise factor with him. He's leading the Coleman race. I guess he maybe is a candidate for that third weapon as well. But I guess... Nobody expects the Carlton Blues. I don't know what people expect out of them at this point. Exactly. The final game of the round is Josh J. Kennedy's farewell. The West Coast Eagles hosting the Adelaide Crows out at Optus Stadium. 
It's a game with two teams that have had pretty sorry runs this year. Their combined record is eight and 30. The Eagles two and 17 in 17th. The Crows six and 13 and 15th. And their best performances have easily come at home, aside from the shock when they had in Ballarat against the Bulldogs. The Crows and Eagles will bounce at 2.10 p.m. local time in Perth. So it's 3.40 p.m. for South Australian viewers, 4.10 p.m. for viewers of the eastern states of Australia. For Americans, that's 2.10 a.m. Eastern on Sunday the 7th, 11.10 p.m. Pacific on Saturday the 6th. We like our time zones. This will be on Fox Soccer Plus. No surprise there. I wanted to do the time zones. This is our last crazy time zone game of the year because it's the last one between teams from South and Western Australia. Damn it. You stole my thunder. I thought thunder was more of a port thing than Adelaide. Could also be more of a Fremantle thing than a West Coast thing. Yeah, between Peel and Thunderstruck, I guess. These teams met at the Adelaide Oval in round 12 where the Crows got off to a big early lead Ended up winning by 31, but it was at that point later in that game when the Eagles started to show some semblance of structure and competence. With Kennedy coming back in for the finale, maybe it's actually a straightforward swap. I mean, Jai Cully is far from a like for like, but Cully was suspended for two weeks after an idiotic elbow to the face of Noah Anderson. He's also got a hamstring injury, so maybe he'll just be sad at this point for the rest of the year. I would love to see some other younger guys coming in. Yes, you want to show well for Kennedy, but I just think that the youth has more promise in them than some of the older guys they keep trotting out there. I think Greg Clark should definitely get more consistent time, and I'd like to see Sam Petrevsky-Seaton get a crack again, at least at the sub. I'd say put him in the 22 straight away to see what he can bring. I've thought of him as a guy with really high potential. I'm surprised he hasn't had more opportunities. For Adelaide, it looks like Josh Rochelle should finally be back from his hip injury, and it looks like Riley Thilthorpe should be fully available. He rolled his ankle at training last week, but looks like he'll be ready to go. Excited to see both of those two back in, but I might be even happier about one of the decisions in the back for Adelaide, and that's that Josh Morrell has gotten another game. He was my favorite part of their back group last game, so it gives Morrell a chance for some consistency. And it also gives Tom Duday more time to recover from his shoulder and finger injuries. I hope to see a real good mix of youth and experience in this game. There's going to be a lot emotionally riding on this game for the Eagles with their greatest goal kicker, one of their greatest players, period, in Kennedy, one of the best forwards throughout the AFL during the 2010s. But at the same time, with both these teams rebuilding, the focus should not solely be on the past. And I really have no idea what direction this game is going to take because we've seen some different looks out of these teams. We've seen them rise and fall at weird times like the Crows did last week in terms of rising. The Eagles had kind of a bipolar game last round where they got to an okay start then sunk really low for the rest of the first half and then came back really strongly, especially in the fourth quarter. I'm not convinced that either of these teams has it in them to play for good quarters. So wish them can play better for longer. Adelaide are favored by two and a half. So I guess that's where the general consensus is for now, that the Crows will be able to play better for longer. And I'm with them in that. I actually think the Eagles are going to win this game. I like their chances to begin with. Then you throw in the Kennedy factor. I think they win this game by about 10. 
One can only hope. All right, I think we actually got through this round preview pretty efficiently, so hopefully it's not a slog for you guys to listen to. A whole lot to think about in terms of matchups with finals implication, top four, as well as top eight. And really, I don't think there's one game that's completely irrelevant in here because even in games with expected outcomes, you've got things like percentage riding on it. Hawthorne and Gold Coast may not be a game that impacts the finals race, but both those teams are certainly building. Greater Western Sydney and Essendon, Spike still got his job on the line. Sydney versus North. I guess percentage could be a factor there as well, depending on how that relates to where the Lions stand, where Melbourne stands. Yeah, I wouldn't say much about Collingwood on that front. If Collingwood are going to make their way into the top two, they need to win their way there. Well, that just about does it for us this week. We look forward to talking with you again after round 21. Don't forget, you can find us reacting in real time to all of these games on Twitter at Americans Footy, and you can find me individually at Castle Media. I am at BenjaminHK01. Brian Harambe, the footy cat, is probably sleeping somewhere on the second floor of this house. He is on Instagram at cat named Ryan. You are wherever y'all are, and I hope wherever y'all are, you have a good way to enjoy this round of footy. Talk to y'all again soon.